Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. We've got more goodies from Climate Week in New York City for you. I was so lucky to get to speak with Dan Zarilli. He's the Senior Director of Climate Policy for the City of New York, but you can think of him as NYC's climate czar. He's in charge of making sure the Big Apple is ready for big impacts from climate change. We talked about how the city is preparing and how changes there could soon be seen all over the world. Dan, it's so nice to finally meet you. It's great to be here. Nice to meet you too. I am actually kind of in shock that you were able to take a couple minutes to talk to me in the middle of Climate Week in New York City. (laughs) It's a busy moment here. Um, You know, really, this is one of our busiest moments of the year. And of course, this year is an even more apt um, for what we're facing with the climate crisis. We've had thousands upon thousands of students and adults out on the street marching on Friday, 350 events this week for Climate Week. You got the UN gathering. It's quite a moment. You've had a lot, a lot (laughs) on your hands. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was it New York City's Climate Week or the UN Climate Summit? Um, You know, going back, I think on the history, they were always coinciding. So this is the 11th year of Climate Week uh, that's run by the Climate Group. Um, And they have coincided in the past with the UN, UN General Assembly and different climate summits that have happened here. Um, it just became a moment and it became sort of iconic for the world to come together here in New York City um, to really focus on the issue. Is this the biggest one you've had? Is this the biggest and baddest of all climate weeks? This is, I think it's maybe telling that, of course, it keeps growing and this year's is probably the biggest and it's the most urgent because we continue to face really what is clearly a climate emergency. And everyone's focusing on it because of the repercussions for the next generation that are coming. Now, you work for the mayor's office. I do. Yeah. What do you do exactly? What is, I'm going to call you climate czar because you are kind of a climate czar for the city. What do you do on a daily basis? What does that involve? So our our office really focuses on preparing um, New York City for the future. And we have recently gone through a huge strategic planning exercise looking at the threats that face New York City. Um, unsurprisingly, climate is uh, is tops on that list. Yeah. And so we are focused as a city on um, really making sure that we are doing everything we can to decarbonize, to end our reliance on fossil fuels. And we can talk about all the different measures there on buildings and electric vehicles and waste and that, that component of work. We're investing heavily billions of dollars into adaptation, mm-hmm. make sure that we are prepared for the heat and the, the sea level rise and all the, the storm activity that's coming. Yeah. And the the third major component of what we do is accountability, Um, making sure that we are holding those responsible for causing this crisis um, to account. And we are uh, suing big oil companies. We are divesting our pension funds, really making sure that we're putting the focus, um, you know, squarely where it belongs on where this crisis has come from. That third prong really seems like one of the bigger pieces of action. But I kind of want to back. I want to. I want to talk about that. But Great. I want to. I want to back up a little bit because, for anyone who lives in the city or has visited the city, one of the first things you notice, you get out on the curb and there are trash bags on every street corner. I mean, just lining it every night. People putting out the garbage. Then you also have, you know, um, the issues that we saw with Sandy and the flooding. And a lot of that is hitting places that are not necessarily affluent. Some in, you know, not just the city, but elsewhere in New York, a lot of housing projects, you know, are the ones that are impacted the most. And you have um, not a lot of air conditioning, not a lot of housing. I mean, you do have a lot of housing that has air conditioning, but compared to other places in the country, 
there's less air conditioning and that with warming temperatures, people who have health issues, like that's gotta be a big concern of y'all. So what are the things that are going on in this city specifically with that adaptation that you were talking about? Yeah, so these are important questions. And I think you hit it you know, right on the head with the, the, the idea that um, those who have caused the least of this problem are seeing the disproportionate effects. And we right. saw it during Hurricane Sandy, you know, our poorest communities, our communities of color, um, we're clearly seeing uh, worse impacts um, from Hurricane Sandy. And that bears itself out with heat as well, where more New Yorkers die of uh, heat than any other natural hazard. And that is predominantly really? in neighborhoods of color. It's in uh, neighborhoods where there's high poverty rates. Um, and so we are, you know, with a real focus on equity in our climate planning, you know, doing things like investing in street trees to help cool neighborhoods and doing it in the most heat vulnerable neighborhoods. Really focusing on, um, you know, the equity and bringing uh, the climate solutions into all the communities that, that need them the most. Okay, so more New York New Yorkers die from heat than any other like weather cause? Than or? any other natural hazard, that's right. And I think that bears itself out across the entire country. Um, yeah. But that's very clearly true in New York City as well. I mean, it makes sense when you think, when you talk about it, but just when you hear it, it is astounding. And so trees are kind of a double answer, right? I mean, if you're planting trees, then you're helping to sequester some carbon. That's right. Um, but also providing a lot of shade. How successful is that in a concrete jungle? Well, you know, I think you see that, you know, neighborhoods that have more, um, you know, tree canopy and coverage are cooler than neighborhoods that don't. And so, you know, the urban heat island effect is very real. And when we pave over all the surfaces and we, you know, everything's black top and black roofs, um, it makes a difference. And so planting street trees, um, coating roofs white, all of that really makes a difference in bringing down those temperatures. And it has an impact on health. And so it's, 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 a, it's the right investment and it's right for New Yorkers. Now, what about sea level rise? What are the you know, precautions and adaptations that are being put in place to help combat that for the city? Yeah, so sea level rise, we're looking and you know, going back to like grounding ourselves in the science, we have the New York City Panel on Climate Change that advises us. It's local uh, academics and researchers. And you know, the projections are, are fairly dire that the high end of the, um, the, the range, we're looking at two and a half feet of sea level rise by the 2050s you know, six feet or higher by 2100. It's a dramatically remade city yeah. um, with sea level rise at those high-end projections. Now, of course, that some of that depends on how much we are emitting and driving mm -hmm. down our greenhouse gas emissions and what happens in Antarctica. Um, but we're preparing for that. We've, you know, Hurricane Sandy was clearly a moment when we were able to shift uh, planning into implementation and are investing heavily in coastal protections and raising our you know our urban edges along the riverfronts and waterfronts um, to make sure we're protecting against that but it's it's about more than just you know seawalls and you know the hard edges it really is the green and gray mix uh, of investments that are happening across the city to deal with the impacts of sea level rise. There's work that's been done by our Department of City Planning on uh, land use and looking at uh, density in certain neighborhoods. So it's a really, it's a broad-based program and we're spending over $20 billion on our adaptation efforts across the city. And, you know, that's probably phase one over yeah. a long period of time. And that's coming out of tax dollars, I assume? I mean, a lot of it is the post-Sandy um, federal dollars. Okay. Uh, but yes, it's a mix of public and private dollars. So what is the future of New York City as a, you know, like a green 
city. Is that the picture of what you're picturing? Like, like, hey, we're completely carbon neutral here. That seems impossible. Well, um, it's 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 we're we're in a place where uh, you know what feels like it's impossible is becoming necessary, and so mm. we need to pull it off. We have set a commitment in New York City of being carbon neutral by 2050. We are securing 100% clean electricity for the entire city by 2040. Wow. And, and generally, we lead by example with, with yeah. these sort of commitments. So we are doing that in the next five years for municipal government. Um, we have spent, we are spending billions of dollars on retrofitting buildings and um, our own facilities. And then we've taken the steps to implement that into local law for all large polluting buildings in New York City. We are committed to a carbon neutral fleet for city vehicles, and we're investing in electric vehicle charging infrastructure for um, for every New Yorker to be able to, to, to take part in that transition. So balancing all of those things that we've just, you know, really gone through very quickly because yep. they are much larger programs, obviously. On top of all that, you're also suing fossil fuel companies. It's been very clear to us that they have, uh, you know, that the fossil fuel companies have gone through a decades long campaign of deception and denial, telling us that, you know, and sowing doubt about the real science of what was happening with climate change at the same time that they were upgrading their oil platforms for sea level rise and investing to protect their own assets so that they can continue to extract. It is crazy. And it, so it is. We it's have, bananas. And, and, and what is happening is that while they're gaining the profits, we're seeing the damages. It's impacting New Yorkers. We're seeing physical damages from storms and other, and other climate impacts here in New York City. And it's costing us a fortune. We need to make sure that the, the, those who are most responsible for causing this climate crisis are paying for the damages we're seeing, which is why we've taken that to court. Okay, so is that just one lawsuit that's going on? And It's a lawsuit against five of the largest okay. oil majors, so Exxon and BP and Chevron and Conoco and Shell. And, like, and so we're, we're in court with them. Uh, in the next couple months, we'll be back in front of the judge. So we're going to pursue this as far as we can. That's, uh, what are you seeking? I mean, like, what is the end result of that? Well, ultimately, ultimately, it's damages. It's, um, yeah. you know, for them to pay for the damages that they've caused. The billions of dollars that you guys are putting into trying to retrofit basically the city to make up for lost time. Now, right. I actually, it's interesting. I went to Bainbridge, Georgia, small town. They were hit very hard by Hurricane Michael. Mm. They're an agricultural community and a lot of pecan farmers, the pecans that you probably enjoy, you and I like. A lot of them come from Georgia. And um, those trees take 10 years to produce. So they're wiped out for the next decade. When I sat down in their community and asked them about climate change first of all it ruffles some feathers but secondly this is an actual response that i got from from one of um a sweet older woman that i sat down with she said oh that happens in new york that doesn't happen here do you think that new york because of what a you know, just a beacon of industrialism and, and of progress for so many decades. Do you think it bears a greater responsibility than other parts of this country or the world? I think we all have a, a debt to pay in many ways. And, you know, it's it's um, no surprise that our living standards in, in, you know, in the Western world mean that we are emitting more carbon. And that is across the entire economy. And so... Yeah. You know, the supply chains that feed New Yorkers and products and travel and all those sort of things play a big role. Um, but what I think is interesting, and, and maybe you can tell me if this bears itself out, when people go through those impacts and see it in their own lives, 
that might open some eyes around the real impacts of climate change. This isn't something that's just going to happen on the coast. Right. It's not just going to happen to someone far away on the other side of the globe. It's not 100 years from now. It's here and now. And so if we are able to galvanize that into uh, an awakening around what we're doing and that we're all in this together, and yes, some people are going to be impacted more than others, clearly, but we're all in this together and we need to come together to, to solve big problems. Hopefully those are the kind of solutions that um, that can change the politics on climate change and get this out of the partisan space and into a real popular movement. It's your the answer to your question is that they do know. The people that have impacted they know, but they won't call it climate change. They say the weather patterns are different. <laughs> or or something has changed, but it's not climate change, which is a really interesting kind of twist. So uh, having one-on-one -on -one conversations, if you get the chance, does make a difference. So that's that's a little tangent. But um, I'm curious if where where New York City lies globally as far as progress goes with regard to you know climate action. Are you guys the head of the pack? Are you guys looking at what some other cities are doing and saying, hey, we aspire to you know reach that level? I know that you have uh, the C40 the in Copenhagen with all the mayors that are coming together later this year to talk about all of this. So, I mean, where does New York fall in that pack? I think it's a bit of all of the above. We are clearly at the head of the pack on a lot of different fronts and, you know, confronting our climate crisis and holding those to account. Um, we have peaked our emissions as a city, and so we are continuing to trend down. Um, that's important. Um, and yet we have a lot to learn from other cities as well. And whether it's um, other cities in, you know, the, the Nordics and Scandinavian cities that have different technologies that we can look to adapt. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of interesting things happening in the world. And I think the point of us coming together is that we learn from each other, we share mm -hmm. best practices, and we all move forward together. Um, it's a... What's also interesting is that New York City has a unique spot in this conversation as the media capital, the financial capital, the cultural capital of the world. No offense to any others out there, but I think <laughs> that, you know this is a place where things happen, and when they happen, people notice it. And so it has a ripple effect across the globe that when New York City is able to get something done and show how it works, that other cities can pick it up and the scale impact becomes enormous. We've seen it with when the mayor, uh, Mayor de Blasio, committed to divesting our pension funds, we have mm. worked with C40 um, and the City of London, two financial centers that are committed to divesting from fossil fuels from their pension funds, that now we've got wow. a dozen other cities that are, that are uh, working with us to implement that, to learn more about it, and the movement is growing. And so there's a, there's a real value when New York City is able to step into the fray and bring partners along and work with our networks and work across the globe that we can have an even bigger impact than just what we're doing here in New York City. Let's pause here for just a moment because the Big Apple isn't the only city making big strides in cutting carbon emissions. C40 is a coalition of the world's major cities aimed at curbing climate change. They recently held a mayor summit in Copenhagen. Now ahead of the summit, C40 published some new research and the findings are giving me some hope. There are 30 major cities in the world that have cut their greenhouse gas emissions by at least 10% since 2015, just a few years ago. Those cities are home to some 58 million people. And if you're only going to visit cities committed to cutting carbon emissions, 
you've got some great options to fill up your passport book with stamps. Athens, Barcelona, London, Madrid, Paris, and Milan are all on the list, and also you can take trains between them. And despite the U.S. exiting the Paris Agreement, 10 out of the 30 cities are in the U.S. Now, on average, the cities have cut carbon output by about 22%. Not bad. I like these cities making progress where countries may not be doing as well. Now let's get back to my chat with Dan Cirilli because he had some great insight for other cities looking to do their part. What advice would you give to a town or a city that's not as big as New York and wants to make a difference? They want to take the first tiny step. Where do you start? I mean, it's, it is a huge problem. So. <laughs> it, it is. And, you know, one is to talk about it. Um, I think that's important just to, to name the problem and to be able to say, here's what we where we need to get to set some aggressive targets and then go for the, the you know, the technological solutions that are out there, electric vehicles in your fleet and solar power for your energy grid. And there's clearly solutions out there that are cost effective, that are not political, mm-hmm. that just make a ton of sense. Go for those first. Um, I, I think it's there's it's just so important to be able to find those common elements across different cities and and be able to share those lessons so that we can move forward together. Can some of these cities kind of create a collective force to make a difference on a state or a federal level? Is that a possibility? I think it's in this moment, it is absolutely essential. Um, when President Trump with you know, announced his intention to withdraw from the Paris Agreement, it was, uh, you know, in New York City, literally the next day, we signed an executive order committing ourselves to the Paris Agreement and accelerating our own actions. Well, across the next couple of weeks, 400 different mayors have stood up and said, we are doing this as well. We're going to help fill that void, that, that abdication of American leadership. States, cities, universities, businesses are coming together to solve that problem. What would you say is giving you the most hope right now with regard to climate action? I think that we're finally in a moment having a conversation in mass media and not just in the environmental media about this. I think there's a lot of inspiration from the youth activists that are calling us out and saying, do more, go faster. Um, the fact that this is such a broad-based conversation means that we are maybe turning the corner. We see you know, magazines devoting whole uh, issues to the climate crisis. We see it getting covered in podcasts like this. We see it getting covered all across the, um, you know, the media landscape. And that means it's a, it's a real conversation. And I think we're, you know, we're hitting a turning point across the globe. We just got to battle all the bots online, That's- right? <laughs> That's <laughs> the other frontier. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for coming by. This has been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Warming Signs family. I love hearing from you. So if you have a moment, tweet at me, at WeatherKate. I would love to hear from you. We can have a great conversation. I want to hear your suggestions. If you have like ideas for the podcast or if you hate the podcast, that's fine. You can tweet at me too. I get all kinds, trust me. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.